Um, okay, take your Bibles, if you will, and open them, or return with me to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to finish this thing up tonight. Um, something we've done over, how long? Gosh, eight, nine weeks or so. And then we'll get back to Romans 4 next week, next uh, Wednesday night. Guys, let me try to give you a panorama uh, of what I've sought to do. I'm not sure that we've accomplished it, but this is what I sought to do. We all understand that a man, a woman is, is brought to faith by grace. That is, sovereign grace. God opens our eyes to see our, our sin, our need for a Savior, and then points us in the direction of that crucified Christ. We walk into the kingdom bringing nothing in our hands. It is by God's rich sovereign grace, the gift of God. We know that. We arrive on the scene as people um, uh, brought to faith by grace, and then we begin to have a few questions. How is it that we live out this relationship now that we have that we never had before? How do we live out a relationship with this God that we've just discovered and been reconciled to by Christ? We are now no longer aliens. We're no longer children of darkness. We're no longer enemies of God. We're sons and daughters. So how do we work out this relationship, this new life that we have? Well, there's all kinds of extreme to which we go, and all of us are on the spectrum someplace, but somewhere between um, uh, legalism and Pharisaism on one end of the spectrum and antinomianism on the other. I have to suggest to you that, or it's my opinion, that our world, the world that you and I are so familiar with, is that we're, most of us are skewed more closely to the Pharisee legalistic end of the spectrum than we are the antinomian. Um, I, I said this in my series on the prodigal son. Uh, I don't know when the prodigal son series was, a couple of years ago, but um, a friend of mine uh, uh, in New York talks about New York City being full of prodigals, prodigal sons, you know, the people who've really blown it, the people who have blah, 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 just this really bad hell's angel tattoo folk up there in New York. But then, in, in a sermon that he was preaching, aimed at the New York crowd, he turned almost with a finger pointed towards Gracie Van, I think. At least he turned with a finger to, uh, pointed towards the South and said, you in the South, you don't deal as much with prodigals as you do with elder brothers. Now, do you remember the story of the elder brothers and how they, with a, a smug kind of, well, I didn't go off to the faraway country like he did. Well, that's that spirit of the Pharisee, the spirit of, I'm a good performer. I've done this well. I've served you all my life. I've done, you know, I haven't blown it like he did. Um, and that's, that's the spirit that I think dominates the Bible belt. Us. We, we're, some of us, and some of us have got, no, 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 back up. All of us have got skeletons in our closets. I love dealing with prodigals because they're not... They're not, they're not so stiff as our elder brothers. Now, so that means that in our church, we're more full of the elder brother and um, the sin that comes along with the elder brother is that sin of legalism and Phariseeism and judgmentalism and because, basically, we haven't blown it that bad. Certainly not like him. Now, my point is, now, so you've got this spectrum. We come, into the, we come into the kingdom. 
we, we're all saved by grace through faith alone, but we're trying to work out this relationship to Christ, and some of us get skewed towards this end of the kingdom, uh, this end of the spectrum, antinomianism, but the, but the majority of us are skewed towards this Pharisee end of the spectrum. We're all recovering Pharisees, guys. And I'm telling you, if you don't, if you're not willing to admit that, then you better look. I mean, I, I would suggest to you, you, you're not being honest with yourself. We're all at some stage of recovery from Phariseeism and the sins thereof. And that's why I recommended that book, The Twelve Steps of the Recovering Pharisee, like me. And I, and I include myself with you guys. I, I, but um, that's one of the ways that we've chosen to begin to live this life that we now have in Christ. Well, we live it dutifully and, and obediently. And, 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 I, and there's nothing wrong with about obedience. Uh, God forbid that you'd hear me say that. But the idea that that obedience has made us more favorable in the presence of God, that's the kind of thing that we have to overturn. Now, so we spent four weeks on that end and three weeks on this end. And then I came back and I said, neither one of those. But the other option of trying to merge the two, trying to blend the two, trying to somehow balance off and compromise and syncretize the two of those extremes is a, is a fool's mission. That's not what we're after. What we're after is not only are we saved by grace, but we are living our life by grace. Uh, a life of grace is what I'm trying to promote. And then I said to you, well, that's not very definitive. What does that mean? Um, well, the, the, the little seven words that I like to hold on to is what, uh, what living a life of grace means is that we're trying to emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. Now, that's what I think I should, be our, should be our standard. Emulating Christ. Just emulating Him. And then I said, okay, how are we going to pull that off? And that's when I directed you to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, where we read verses 9, 10, and 11. Let me do that again real quick, and then we'll try to finish up or wrap it up. Um, uh, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, Paul is praying for the people at Colossae. And he says, this is my prayer for you. I want you to be filled with all the knowledge of his will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, what I said is, all right, we're trying to emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. How do we do that? I'm saying that's step one. Step one is being filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I'm trying to emulate Christ. Okay, then there's certain things that I've got to know. I have to have the mind of Christ. So, in, in this process of emulating Christ, I've got to have... The right mind, I called it. That's, that's what Paul is pleading for and praying for for the Colossians. Then, having said that, there's a semicolon there. We go to verse 10 where we find these words. That, I mean, that is so that now that you've got this mind of Christ, the purpose of having that mind of Christ is so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. And we talked about that last week. I think it was last week. Where there not only is a right mind... But there is a right walk that flows out of having a right mind. We talked about uh, the last... I mean, I'm not trying to promote antinomianism. There are rules in this life of grace. 
It's just a, it's, the question is, where do the rules come from? Who gets to write the rules? Whose rules are we following? Are we following the churches? Are we following the pastors? Are we following the rules of the group? Ladies and gentlemen, those are all, that is all bondage. Bondage, bondage, bondage. But there are rules, and the rules are set by God and His Word. We've got to go find those rules and emulate those. And I've given you numerous illustrations about, what, let's take this instance. What is it that the Lord Jesus, how do you think He is going to be uh, dealing with this? Well, I'm going to emulate Him. I'm not going to worry about you. I'm not going to worry about whether or not you have an opinion about this. I'm, I, I'll, I'll give you another one. I'll, how about movies? Movies. You know, I just got through raising some eyebrows at the supper time because somebody asked me if I'd seen Chocolat. Well, I did. And I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> but um, uh, someone heard when I saw it, they said, You saw Chocolat? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, that's just another issue that what I'm trying to do in my own life is simply emulate Christ. Now, and not be concerned about whether or not you see me walking in the movie and I have to hide my ticket. You know, oh, well, I'm not going to that. I'm going to uh, the Walt Disney movie. <laughs> um, and then wait till you get into yours so I can go into mine, you know? That's bondage. It's bondage, ladies and gentlemen. I'm saying, forget that. Let's just go emulate Jesus. Let's go find out what he said. So we've, we've got his mind, and now we're obeying him. Now tonight, the, the, the third thing that Paul mentions in this text is, um, actually there's a yeah, third thing, that, um, that we're going to walk this worthy walk that's fully pleasing to him, the result of which would be being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, now, guys, here's my point. I'm saying, what does it mean to emulate Christ? Well, it means that we're going to have a right mind, a right walk, and inevitably, that right mind and right walk will bear fruit. There will be fruit-bearing, fruit-borne by anyone who is a, a right mind and a right walk. And I... I I could spend the rest of the night uh, just talking about the necessity of fruit-bearing. Folks, um, I, I really want to spend my time elsewhere because we don't have but 15 minutes left. But, um, folks, um, you have been called into the kingdom to bear fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is that? It can vary from being an evangelist to uh, uh, being an outstanding mother. I, I'm not... I'm not um, concerned in detail what fruit we're talking about here. We, we'll talk a little bit more about it in a second. But the point is, whenever anyone is right-minded, that is, their mind is trained by the Scriptures, and they are determined to walk um, in a path laid out by Christ, it will be apparent. Fruit is something that is visible, quantifiable, and objective. And there must be something that has come out of the roots of my soul that can be seen by those around me. It's, it's 
all throughout the scriptures. The bad tree doesn't bear good fruit, but the good tree bears, doesn't bear bad fruit. But, you know, there's fruit bearing that's required. It is simply, and, and, and I'm going to say one thing, and I'm going to, and I'll quit, but uh, on this. Is it a problem for a grapefruit tree to bear a grapefruit? Does the grapefruit tree groan and strain to produce a grapefruit? Or is it the very natural byproduct of the nature of its insides, of its anatomical uh, makeup? I think you see the, the, the answer to that. Fruit, uh, grapefruit trees bear grapefruits because they're grapefruit trees. And you and I are called to bear fruit. That will be apparent of those who are walking by grace. Um, I say to you folks, uh, if, you in, if you lean towards the antinomian end of the spectrum, this is for you. That is, if you're saying that all, all I had to do was nod my head in the direction of Jesus and get a ticket to heaven stuck in my pocket, and then the ball game was over no matter what I did, I say to you, that's not what Paul is praying for the Colossian church. He says that they would think rightly, they would walk rightly, and that they would bear fruit. And I'm suggesting that those are the three things that are... Um, three things that we can associate with emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Thinking right according to the Scriptures, living right according to the rules that set down by the Scriptures, and bearing fruit. Now, Francis Schaeffer used to ask, what is there about your life that can only be explained by the presence of God in your life? That's fruit. What is there that if we were to take, about, take away the church and all preaching and all Bible studies and etc., what would remain about you that is evidence that you've had a molecular uh, restructuring on the inside of yourself. Because when that happens, something is born. And what is born is, is obvious. It's, it's, it's quantifiable. It's objective. It is discernible. It is visible. And, and those are the things that must be true of all of us. Somewhere along the line, my relationship to Jesus Christ has to produce something. Uh, produce something that is visible to everybody else. Now, I, I, I have to stop at that because we've got to get on to what I think is perhaps the most important point of the night. And that is um, when he starts in verse 11. Having said that, Paul recognizes that none of this is ever going to be done unless we are strengthened with all might according to his work uh, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be protected from the inheritance of things in life. Guys, notice that clause, according to his glorious power. Now, where is this might going to come from that you and I are, are going to have to live this life and walk and bear fruit in all this? It is according to his glorious power. And that's why I have, in my little definition, I put emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Now, gang, I'd like for you to turn with a, to a text with me. I'd like for you to see it. It's in the book of John. You know the text. It won't be new. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I just want to read it to you and then pause for a moment. 
John 15, if you can find that real quick. Okay, are you there? Very familiar passage. This is the passage. This is the, the great story of the true vine. I'm the true vine. You're the branches, etc. It, it's a wonderful portion of Scripture that Jesus is teaching himself. And he says in verse 5, here's what I want you to see. <laughs> but I know you've seen it before, and I've seen it before. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. There's that fruit thing again. Well, if I'm, if I'm hooked into Jesus, I'm going to be bearing fruit. And then he says, For without me, you can do nothing. Now, let me see if I can parse the Greek verbs for you and, and unlock all the mysteries that are contained in those seven words. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think it takes a college education nor a seminary degree to understand those words. Now, let me read them to you very simply again. For without me, you can do nothing. He means that. Has that registered in our souls as of, as of late? It, has, it, has it registered in our souls that broken away from the true vine, there's not going to be any fruit born. And you and I are dependent upon the life that flows in us from the, from, from the triune God. Gang, uh, look at this statement in verse uh, 8 concerning what I said previously. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Yes, yes, yes. That is our desire. That is our dem the demand that's on us that you and I bear a whole lot of fruit. But there is a fundamental flaw that I think exists in our, in our thinking. We have not yet paused long enough to consider that this, must, this thing must be lived out in the power of the Spirit. Um, the fruit that is mentioned by Paul in Galatians 5 are fruit of the Spirit. Um, the walk is uh, called by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, the walk of the Spirit which communicates, which implies, I think, a certain dependency and a certain yieldedness. Um, guys, um, here, here is, here's the litmus test as to how much you and I understand about emulating Christ in the power of the Spirit. Here's the litmus test. How much time have you spent in prayer today? Because it is there, ladies and gentlemen, that this battle is going to be won or lost. How much time, how many, when is the last time that you spent an extended time, longer than five minutes, in front of the face of God and said, without you, I can do nothing? You know, um, there's a story, I think I told you this before, about Spurgeon. Um, and Spurgeon preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle um, in London, and I'm going to tell you another story about that this, this Sunday, but there was a staircase that wound up to the pulpit, and it was at the center of the, the room, and it, uh, that's the old Puritan model of architecture. But anyway, uh, Spurgeon said that uh, when it was his time to preach, and as he ascended the pulpit, as he, as he took each step, what he said was, I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe. As he walked to the pulpit, reminding himself that nothing would be accomplished unless it was accomplished in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. Guys, um, you can answer the question for yourself. How much time? Because it is there where we're going to express this yieldedness independence. It is there where we're going to um, win that battle over the flesh. And uh, if you are um, prayerless, I say to you, I think you are living in the power of your flesh. And, and that is uh, never going to accomplish anything for any of us. Uh, so guys, when I'm talking about emulating Christ, I'm, I'm talking about this sense of yieldedness and dependency upon the might that he provides. Um, I, I've got four minutes. And I want to tell you a story. Um, guys, here, here's what I think should guide us as the people of God in trying to live out this life of grace. Guys, you are, you are set free. You are set free to go emulate Christ. And don't, don't give another thought about what the church is going to think. Not another thought. It should never again cross our minds because we have arisen from a place of prayer where we have said what we want to do is your will and we rely on you to lead us into it. So, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up from here um, confident that you have promised that you give the Holy Spirit to them that ask and I'm going to live my day, I'm going to flesh my day out like that. We don't need to be worried about whether they're going to um, approve of that. What I need to be asking is, will he approve of that? Guys, you're free. Remember one of the things that we've done with the blue card, and maybe some of you wonder what happened to the blue card. Well, it just got to be an administrative nightmare um, uh, for the staff. But the two things that spawned that blue card are still intact. That is, you do not belong to Gracie Van. You do not belong to me. I wish you did. I wish I could keep you until I retire. But you do not belong to me. You're free. Go follow Jesus. Go follow him. And uh, it'll be sad when you leave. If you do, I hope you don't. But if you do, it'll be sad. But I'll have to get over it. Because you're free. You're free to follow him. Let me tell you one story and then I'll, I'll quit. I've, I've told this story one time, maybe two times, but it it's so perfectly illustrates what I want to say and how I want to close. And then we'll get back to Romans 4 next week. It's a story about the Civil War when... Um, um, the, uh, before the Civil War, um, when uh, Abraham Lincoln had early on been elected as the President of the United States, and the slave trade was still um, uh, well underway, and it was before the Emancipation Proclamation, and, and um, he went, I think it was to the city of Baltimore, where slaves were being sold on the auction block. And, um, uh, you know, they'd pass a, an African-American up onto the block and he'd be sold for whatever. And, and uh, at one point in the, in the auction, um, an uh, African-American woman was placed on the auction block and uh, the bidding began. And the one who was um, standing there on the auction block was a woman who was... Uh, um, the look on her face was one of fear, one of disdain, one of contempt for the white man, one of hatred. She had been abused, um, apparently, all the way over here and um, all, the way since, all the time since she had been here. And, um, but she, uh, the, the winner of the auction was Abraham Lincoln himself. 
And so he went up to claim what he had just purchased, and he said um, to this black woman, uh, you are free to go. And uh, she looked at him and she said, what does that mean? He said, well, it means you're free to go. And she says, um, does it mean that I'm free to say anything I want to say? And he said, yes, it does. It means that you're free to say anything that you want to say. And she says, well, does it mean that I can do anything that I want to do? And he said, yes, it does. It means that you can do anything that you want to do within law. She says, well, does it mean that I can, I can be with anybody I want to be with? He said, yes, it means you can be with anybody that you want to be with. And she said, then I think I'll be with you. You know, guys, when you get liberated, there's a freshness to the whole approach. When you get set free, there's beauty in walking with Christ that heretofore had not been realized. Oh, gosh, guys, if I ever do anything for you, let me set you free from all those incrustations of religion that have so beset us and so stolen our joy and turned us into judgmental, hypercritical, pharisaical people. You're free, ladies and gentlemen. You're free by grace. You've been set free by grace. Now, let's all of us. Let's all of us covenant. But here's what we're going to do. We're all going to go emulate Christ in the power of the Spirit. And if we do, we'll be fine. Um, you who need to get out early, you, you want to head on and scoot on out now? Um, anybody need to go early? Well, then let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great liberty that is ours by the um, accomplished for us by the work of Jesus Christ. And we, um, we are a people who have not yet fully understood all that we possess in Christ. We know that there are um, certain laws, but we don't know who wrote them. And I pray, O oh God, that we'll begin to see afresh that it's our Savior who has given us a certain lifestyle to live only because, motivated completely because, He loves us and wants our best. That the life that we have in Christ is one that's designed for our good. And I pray that you'll give us grace to believe that and grace to know at the base of our souls that without you, we can accomplish absolutely nothing. Give us the power and the might of the indwelling Holy Spirit so that we can live victoriously and bring glory to the God we love by bearing fruit unto heaven. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Good night. See you next week. Lord willing.